On this week's episode, we explain the difference between emotional support animals, therapy dogs, and service dogs while also ranting about it. Casey also talks about the white cane and why she doesn't use a guide dog, and I talk about why I do. We also talk about being accused of faking blindness and much more, so stay tuned. Welcome to Rare with Flair, the podcast where two 20-somethings with the same rare disease are living our best lives. I'm your host, Casey. And I am your host, Cassandra. We just wanted to make some housekeeping announcements. We just wanted to say a massive thank you to everyone over the past, I mean, so we're recording this a week after our first episode came out, right? Yes. Oh my goodness. The reception has been beautiful. Thank you, everyone. Thank you so much to everyone that has listened. We this is our baby. We've really put a lot of time into this, and so we can't thank you enough for everyone that has left a comment or a review and followed us. Another housekeeping note: Cassandra has written these amazing, really detailed show notes on our website, rarewithflare.com. So please go read them and check them out. Basically, anything we mention on this podcast, any kind of organization or product or anything, she is citing our sources and giving links to everything we talk about. I actually get kind of a weird kick out of writing them. (laughs) (laughs) And then I edit and I weirdly love editing and we would not want to switch jobs. Absolutely not. By the way, you may notice that this episode is coming out two weeks after the first one when we said monthly. We take it back between the reception and not having anything to do right now. Yeah, quarantine. Hashtag 2020. And we were just so excited about like other content we wanted to make. So we were just like, why don't we just do it bi-weekly? Yeah, so we're excited to be doing it bi-weekly for now. Every Tuesday. Or not, wow, not every Tuesday. <laughs> every other Tuesday. I, I salute the podcasters who do it every week. That must be a lot of work. But Oof. also, oddly enough, at the end of our last podcast, Cassandra mentioned that I have a dog voice. It's the voice I talk to my dog in, and it's very obnoxious. And weirdly enough, Cassandra, I don't know if you know how many people reached out to me about this dog voice. You should, because it is worth it. I promise. So we decided if we reach 100 reviews on Apple Podcasts that I will do my dog voice for you all. (laughs) The last thing we wanted to mention was we have since gotten a Twitter so just wanted to plug our Twitter at Rare with Flair. We also have a Facebook page, Rare with Flair. And our Instagram is still there, rare.with.flare. We also have a new email just for inquiries. So we, we mentioned our Gmail last time. We just realized that we could make a new one because I own a, dona- oh, a domain. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so just for inquiries for uh, anyone who wants to write us a question or a suggestion, Hello at rarewithflare.com. So today we're talking about a very meaty, juicy topic that we are so excited to get into. We are going to talk about mobility tools for visually impaired and blind people, such as canes and guide dogs. I'm going to do a quick disclaimer before we actually get into the topics. Cassandra and I are both legally blind, but we are not totally blind. We have some usable vision. And actually, a large percentage of blind people don't use any tools at all. The reason we use these tools is they help us out a lot, which we're going to explain in the episode. But we don't necessarily use them all the time. Like speaking for myself, I have a white cane and you'll see that I use it in some situations and not other situations. And that really confuses people, which is understandable. I use it mainly outside or in unfamiliar areas when I travel, when I'm in the airport, all of that. If I'm being driven straight to a store, I don't need it. And you can agree, I think. Oh, for sure. So I'm a guide dog user. You can probably tell by our cover art. And I probably use mobility tools, mostly my guide dog under normal circumstances, right? But probably a good 80% of the time. There is this 20% where I don't either use my guide dog or use a cane in times when bringing a guide dog is not practical. It's not illegal, right? I'm legally allowed to bring her anywhere and we'll get into that. Like there's just some times where it's just not helpful at all to have a guide dog. Examples are Sporting events, concerts, crowded bars. Mm. Mm, 
Mm, no, no, that I, does not sound like a dog friendly place to me. <laughs> and like again, it is totally allowed, and I just I don't feel that she would be comfortable. I don't think I would be comfortable, and I don't think that she could actually help me too much in those super crowded environments anyway. But what Casey just referenced earlier was like we use these tools for different reasons, right? We still have good functional vision, so we can still see, but a big component of having albinism is being extremely light sensitive. So our eyes, as we said in the first episode, lack pigment and that makes our eyes super sensitive to light. Yes. And we also have terrible depth perception, which is why the canes Mm -hmm. and guide dogs help us a lot. Like, obviously, like, I don't know about you, Cassandra, but if I'm standing at the top of a step and I'm looking down, I literally can't tell how tall the step is. Is it a ramp? Is it a step? <laughs> is it flat? I have no Sometimes idea. it's just paint. Like, it'll literally just be like, I'll be in a parking lot, and it's just a, like a line of paint, and I think it's a step because, you know, or any kind of change in the... Yeah, in the texture of the ground. Yes. <laughs> um, we also use them, though, to let people know we can't see. Like, I think a lot of people don't realize that that's the reasoning behind this for a lot of mm. people. Yeah, and one thing that we also wanted to really quick mention is you know, we can live without these tools. Right. Um, Casey and I have lived a, a generous portion of our lives walking around without either a cane or a guide dog. And for us, it was just too much. When you think about it, you have to be looking down at the ground to make sure that you don't trip on anything. You have to be looking in front of you to make sure you don't run into anything. Yeah. You have to be looking around you at signs, listening for cues, squinting because the light hurts. Like, it's so much you have to be hyper aware all the time and it's exhausting it's like a full-time job just to walk down the street and when you have these tools you can look up and look around you and enjoy like your walk without feeling so like overwhelmed me being a guide dog user it's just this this beautiful romantic feeling when i get to have my dog guiding me and i can just like close my eyes and just pay attention to the smells and the sounds of things and even listen to music with like one headphone out so I can hear the street but you know it's it's amazing so using tools just freed up a lot of our mental space yeah and there you know I think we do have a love-hate relationship with these tools which we're kind of going to get into like it's not always easy the stigma that comes along with using things like this and I wish so badly that they were more widely accepted and people understood more about them because they are just so helpful. And if there wasn't that negative stigma, I wouldn't have any issues with using them. But sometimes it is a little bit, you know, a negative experience. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's part of the reason we're doing this podcast. It's like we want to get it out there. Absolutely. So first, we're going to start with talking about the white cane, which both of us have experience using. Um, So here's a little history fun fact, because I'm your resident geek and I wanted to... <laughs> explain a little bit of history we were joking that cassandra has a history fun fact in every episode of this podcast she's like i've been googling and you're you've even been googling for an episode we have coming up later that's not even this episode oh my goodness i'm so excited so history of the white cane in brief uh blind people for centuries have been using sticks to poke around and, and prod their environment in biblical times it was like shepherd's stabs and things but until like the 1920s There was a man who suffered an injury, and he was an artist in, I believe, northern England, and so he took a stick and he started using it to navigate and poke around his environment, and he also wanted to use it so that people knew that he was blind. Then it came about to paint it white so that drivers could see it, and that happened in the U.S. after the First World War. A lot of veterans came back blind. And the Lions Club, which has been historically an advocate for blindness, ended up painting them white as well so people could see. Yes, and I think it's pretty self-explanatory how it works, but, you know, basically the cane is in front of you, so if there's ever a step or a bump or any kind of obstacle, it hits it before you do. Obviously, the same goes for a guide dog, even though they're more of an advanced tool because they have actual eyes that can see things. (laughs) But um, some people even use the cane for sound feedback. You can, Mm -hmm. you know, hit it against the ground and hear the sound bounce off of objects. I'm not really trained in how to do that properly. I mean, like, I think it takes some practice because 
I just don't know if my hearing is like that up to par. Yeah, and it's super low tech. <laughs> oh yeah, it's super low tech. It's a stick. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so yeah, we were going to talk about how we started using it. I'll let you go first because you started using it when you were younger than me. Yeah. With albinism, our vision isn't set to change over time. We have the same vision we were born with, roughly. But um, I was trained with the cane when I was 16. Shout out to all my amazing O&M instructors. I didn't really use it until uh, either I was traveling, because growing up, I lived in the suburbs. I didn't live in a big city that had transportation. So I got driven everywhere. I went to a really small high school. I didn't really need to use it at all. Unless I was traveling. And then when I went to college and I lived independently in a really big campus, it was a really necessary tool for me. Yeah. Um, I started kind of thinking about using the cane when I went to college. And I kind of was always interested in it and always wanted to try it, but I never did. Then in 2016, I decided to move to New York. And I had already known I was going to move to New York for a while. So I think it was actually at the end of 2015 that I started training with the cane because I knew New York was going to be a very overwhelming traffic filled place. But it really blew my mind how much it changed my life and how amazing it is. And I'll forever be a cane user, not necessarily full time cane user. I wasn't even full time in New York, by the way. I, I used it full time outside. But when I would go in places, I often folded it up. Cassandra and I also have this problem, and you can definitely butt in here, Cassandra, with not feeling blind enough for the white cane. Which, if you guys don't know us, might sound kind of weird, because we keep referring to ourselves as as blind, uh, which we do meet that threshold, because blindness is a spectrum, and this is a constant topic that we will come back to, because it is so important to this podcast. Yes, absolutely. So, if you know about human vision, which is extremely complicated, might I add, but 2020 is what people say is perfect vision. For context, it means being able to see something at about 20 feet away and be able to make it out. Casey and I have roughly 20 over 200 or 20 over 400, and that means that the item has to be significantly larger for us to be able to make it out at 20 feet. Right. What most people could see from 400 feet away, we would have to be 20 feet away to see the same thing. When, you know, when I was growing up, I would see the white cane and be like, oh, that's just for totally blind people. And I think I had, I felt a weird sense of guilt. I think you almost feel this need to be a certain way or act a certain way when you use the white cane because everyone expects you to be totally blind. And most people who use the white cane actually are not totally blind, a large percentage. Yeah, a big 90% of people who are considered blind have some degree of usable vision, whether it's light perception, so being able to know if the light's on or off in the room, or if it's like us, that we have a pretty large degree of functional vision, can read print but we can't see enough to navigate our surroundings uh, extremely well. Yeah, and I remember someone telling me, though, they said, these tools were made for you. And that just, like, gave me the permission to use it when someone said, this tool is made for you. It's made for totally blind people, but it's also made for you. Like, it's made for anyone with low vision that it would help. And that just really, really stuck with me, so... Oh, absolutely. You know, I've heard when people say who don't know much on the subject, like, oh, don't you feel like you're taking away a dog from someone who needs one? But, you know, I'm someone who needs one. You need one. Sorry. Yeah. So if you have a disability and you are holding out on using some sort of tool that will make your life better because you don't feel disabled enough to use it, you can use it. It is made for you too. Yes, technically we could survive without these tools, but it's about a quality of life thing. And if it gives us a better quality of life and makes us feel safer and more confident, I can't tell you how much my confidence skyrockets when I have my tools. Absolutely. And on this train, um, as you can probably assume, there's a lot of preconceived notions about using tools and we'll mostly focus on the cane right now but people tend to treat us differently that could be a good different or a bad different so sometimes people are very nice and and it's like the goal of us using a cane is to be able to navigate safely but the sub goal i guess is so people know that we can't see well so quintessentially you know if we ask for help someone helps us that's nice Yep, I will say, like, whenever I have the cane with me, 
people are willing to help me. I, I told Cassandra a story of once I was in New York and I got off the subway at the wrong stop and multiple people came up to help me. Would that ever happen in New York if I wasn't standing there with a white cane? Absolutely mm-hmm. not. And I needed the help. So, you know, when we need the help, people are way more likely to believe us. I think if we asked for help and said, hey, I can't see well without a cane or a dog, they would be like, oh, really? Like, you know, I feel like since we don't quote unquote look blind, that's a whole other conversation of not looking blind. People are way more willing to help you if you have these tools. Right. And, you know, if we ask a question that people think could be stupid, but it's in context of the fact that we can't see well. Otherwise, I mean, I don't blame them because they don't know. But with the tools, we're letting them know. Like when I go to a restaurant and I can't read the menu posted on the wall. So I, I literally have gone up to the, the person taking my order and been like, what do you have here? <laughs> or my mom will read me all the menu items and I'm sitting there thinking, wow, they probably think I can't read. And no disrespect to anyone who can't read. You know, there are a lot of different disabilities out there and stuff like that. But it is just like very confusing to people when your mom is reading you the menu when you're 27 years old. <laughs> But if I had the cane with me, they'd be like, oh, she can't see it. Right. And that's assuming people understand what the cane means, which surprisingly some people don't. But sometimes people are over the top nice. Um, (laughs) They assume that we need help. Yes. Even if we say that we're okay. Yes. Or they say that we're an inspiration or they offer to pray for us. And, you know, listen, I'm a person that prays. Nothing wrong with that. However... Like, Cassandra and I were joking when they come up and say, oh, I'm going to pray for you. I think, oh, about what? Like, pray that I find a husband, pray that I do well on, like, my next career venture. Like, <laughs> what are you praying for? Because I think curing my vision would be, like, way low on the totem pole of things I want you to pray me for me right now. Yeah, I sometimes want to ask them, like, oh, I can pray for you, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> can I pray for you, too? <laughs> it's so oh, true. But- it's so true. The takeaway from this is, one, ask people who have disabilities if they need your help and accept no for an answer okay Mm, yes because they get mad people get really personally offended when we say that we're good they do and i'm sorry i'm taking away like your good citizen moment of the day yes cassandra (laughs) this is what i always say people will ask to help me cross the street i say no i'm fine and they act all mad like i just took away their good samaritan quota of the week like (laughs) i know and and i get it i get it people but like that just also shows that people don't understand people with disabilities that we don't always need your help um, or like when people forcibly make me take their arm, I don't want to grab your arm. I don't Look. know you, sir. We are not dating. <laughs> I do not want to grab please, your arm. Please, please, no. don't make me touch you. No, I don't want to touch you. It's Corona now. We really can't touch Ew. you. Um, but then on the on the opposite side of the spectrum, some people treat us really badly. And mm-hmm. I'll tell my own story here. I'm sure you have some of people accusing us of faking blindness because they think there's some detective that has caught you in some kind of crime and they get all excited that they've like found out this secret about you, that you're faking it. Um, yeah. One time my mom and I were at this like street festival and her necklace was all crooked and I reached over and I fixed her necklace and this guy looked at me with my white cane and said why are you using that and I said I'm legally blind and he said really or is that just what you tell people gross it infuriated me and and it scares me like my personality like I I don't like getting in trouble with people or getting called out and I, I get afraid that people are going to accuse me. So have you ever had that happen to you? Yeah. So I, I was actually in an Uber last year and uh, I take a lot of Ubers. I don't drive. Right. Of course. Um, I was in a lift. Well, you know, Uber lift, whatever. Um, I was in a lift and it was just a really stressful day. My dog was sick. I needed to take her to the vet, but I this guy, he pulled up to the corner in front of my apartment, and I assumed that was him, and I got close to his license plate and read it, and then I got inside, and this guy was just, he was being super invasive to me and my, uh, privacy, because he immediately asked, like, oh, is that a service dog? And I was like, "Uh uh-huh. And he was like, what's wrong with you? Oh, my. And I was like, well... I mean, that's not usually how people ask that, and it's also uh, very rude, but in case you wanted to know, I'm legally blind. 
And then he proceeds to ask a bunch of other un, like really unfortunate and frustrating questions until he goes, well, you're not blind. You saw me pull up. Mm. And I was like... I think it's also important to mention that Cassandra wears glasses. Yeah, I do wear glasses um, because... That must be an interesting <laughs> thing for you. It's weird because, understand, uh, listeners, so our vision is not correctable. That means that we can't get surgery. We can't have a magic pair of glasses that's our, that's going to correct our eyes because it goes deeper than that. With my eyes, just like normal people, I have like astigmatism and I'm also, this is ironic, I'm farsighted. <laughs> so I wear glasses to correct those things. Does it correct her vision over 2200? No. No. That's the biggest misconception out there. It is really confusing for people, but... It allows me to read things and not get a headache at the end of the day. Right. So that's why I wear glasses, because it actually does help me. But Casey doesn't have astigmatism or anything, so it doesn't help. Right. I have glasses. I don't wear them all the time because it doesn't help enough for it to be worth it. But I do wear them to movies because even though it doesn't bring my vision up any on the chart... It makes everything slightly sharper and slightly clearer. I can't really explain that because it doesn't necessarily bring my vision up. I always joke around that, like, my vision is crappy, but when I put on glasses, it's crappy HD. (laughs) No, exactly. But I feel like people see you with the guide dog and they're like, oh, she's blind. Oh, wait, she has glasses, so she must be able to see. And people, it, like, blows their little minds that that is even a possibility Because they can't think outside of the little box that they know, and that's not their fault. Another funny thing that happens is, um, you know, we're not always using the cane the right way. So (laughs) I have definitely just kind of not been paying attention because using the cane, there is a proper way to do it. And it goes in step with your feet. When I have not been in step or when I have not cared to be in step, I have actually run into objects because I was not using the cane right. <laughs> or if there's an object that's like hanging where the cane, the cane only feels things on the ground, mind you. So if there is a hanging sign or tree branch or anything, you are going to run into it. And I have. Oh, yeah. Yes. My guide dog is supposed to stop for hanging objects. Right. And she was trained to do that. But is she good at it? No, no, she's not. I have to correct her all the time for it because I'm like, dude, I just ran into a tree. Please help me. (laughs) Speaking of guide dogs, though, I feel like we can go ahead and, and like go into that. Leave the cane behind and kind of now explain guide dogism. That's my new word. Okay, I just made it up. I like it. Um, And I don't want to take over this section because I do have a lot of stories because I am a guide dog user, but. You know, Casey is also very knowledgeable on the subject, so... Um, but I'll, I'll try and keep my stories at a minimum and my explanations. So, really, all I'm trying to say is if you have further questions about guide dogs or anything of the subject, please email us at hello at rarewithflare.com and we will hopefully address them in future episodes. But I decided to get a guide dog actually not too long after I had started college. I had, for the first time that summer, I had been in blind spaces with, like, varying degrees of blind people. Because I went to school in a really big place, Ohio State has about 50 or 60,000 students, and it is located in Columbus, so it's not just, like, a really tiny college town, it is a city. So I did a lot of walking, a lot of navigating independently, and I was just thinking, you know, a guide dog could be really helpful and make me be more efficient. I also like walking very fast. I'm pretty tall. I'm like five foot nine. And also from an engineering standpoint, as as geeky as this sounds, you and a guide dog, you both have brains. So you guys are two independently functioning systems. So if you put them together, you get to accomplish twice the work as one augmented system, which would be a person with a stick that doesn't think or talk. <laughs> so I decided to get a guide dog when I was 18 and just I'm super super grateful I went through with it. It was just an amazing decision and I I love my dog. She's incredible. Yeah, she's amazing. Like we said in the last episode, she is a queen. 
Um, getting a guide dog, it's, you know, dogs are amazing. I'm a big dog lover, but it's, it's a tool at the end of the, like it is a dog. It is a living, breathing dog, but it is also a tool, a medical tool at the end of the day as well. So it's not just like, oh, I'm blind and I think dogs are cute. I'm going to get a guide dog. It's all about lifestyle. So when I lived in New York, a guide dog would have actually been pretty good for me because I did a lot of walking every single day. But now I live in a suburb and I get driven around most places, whereas Cassandra walks to work. She lives in a bigger area than me. And so it just fits her lifestyle way better. So that's one of the reasons I don't have a guide dog is I feel like I wouldn't even use it enough. And then also another reason that's a little more of a dumb reason is I am allergic to dogs. I have a dog that's like hypoallergenic. It's the same breed of dog that I had growing up. So I knew it's okay for my allergies. But, you know, I mean, you can get like a guide poodle, but it's not very common. <laughs> yeah, there are a few guide dog schools that do poodles and they are very, very smart. Um, but, oh, they are for sure. Yeah, but also guide dogs have a whole load of other troubles that they bring on their own, not because of, you know, any particular thing about the dog that is negative. But first, you know, you got to care for a dog and you have to also really be willing to have a lot of people slam the door in your face. Yeah. Um, which is kind of harsh, but uh, people don't understand the Americans with Disabilities Act, and we will go through we that. We are going to um, get into that, because I'm ready to <laughs> rant my socks off. Oh my goodness. I'm yeah. Ready. But um, you got to know that that's going to happen. Um, you also have to know that you're going to get way more attention than you did with the cane because dogs are cute and most people like dogs they're also very trendy now right Um, Mm -hmm. but wouldn't you say like don't you think the stigma around the cane is worse than a dog though um or not i think it's it's for different reasons yeah yeah exactly yeah i would say uh yes in a way because i definitely feel like i got more pitying and like scrutinizing stares when I used a cane Mm -hmm. but with the guide dog for people who don't like dogs or are allergic or in some cultures they are not seen well so people are afraid of dogs it is extremely negative reactions right I feel like there's more stigma associated to the cane when it comes to blindness but in general like the access denial that people face with guide dogs and everything is so heartbreaking and they, on the other end of the spectrum, because of what Casey mentioned earlier about not looking blind, in quotes, people people don't actually believe that she's my guide dog. People, mm. I get all the time, like, are you training her? That's so good of you to train that dog for someone who needs it. <laughs> like, all throughout college, all throughout working life, people assume that I'm her trainer, and I'm not. <laughs> but really quick, I'll go through the story of how I got a guide dog and what it, how it, the process goes because it is kind of an involved process and there are some pretty strict criteria on getting a guide dog first obviously but not obvious to some people you have to be blind you have (laughs) to follow that threshold of worse than 20 over 200 and you have to have a report from an eye doctor that says that also Um, might i add please to shout it from the rooftops and get it in people's heads worse than 2200 with glasses with correction correction. people want to tell me all the time oh i'm legally blind too without my glasses and i'm like no you're actually not legally blind too but thank you for telling me that anyway i appreciate you want to be part of our elite club (laughs) literally if your glasses corrected i am sorry don't try to even start to compare your life to mine i'm sorry like i might that really sounds harsh but it's just not the same lived experience even at (laughs) a little bit like no. It's, it's really like, I'm sorry much. you see blurry at night at the end of the day when you take off your glasses. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're so fine. That needed to I be get a little. I get a little heated, y'all. I get a little heated. <laughs> We're prepared to rant today. Okay. You have to be blind. Uh, another thing is you have to be in good physical and mental health. Reason being is, like, you have to be able to walk with your guide dog at least a little bit. Um, Another thing you need to have is orientation and mobility. Casey and I have referenced this before, but O&M is how blind people are taught to navigate the world. Yeah, but like going along with that, you also have to be using the cane full time, correct? At least 70% of the time was what I was told. Okay. So 
over half of the time a really good portion of it. So, like, if you aren't cane trained or using the cane at all, probably not the best idea to try to apply to get a guide dog. I think that you can get a guide dog, but it, like, they prefer you to have cane experience. Right. But, yeah, O&M... They teach us how to cross the street safely. They use us. They teach us how to navigate the world with either limited or no sight. So using a lot of sound cues, uh, learning cardinal directions. So those are some of the main qualifiers. You also have to have a pretty active lifestyle, like Casey was saying. You have to walk at least a little bit. You have every to use day. the dog, yeah. Right. So in 2015, I decided to apply, and. After I submitted a bunch of paperwork and stuff for my O&M instructors and everything, I had a phone interview, and then I had an in-person interview where they watched me walk around to make sure that I could actually cross streets safely. Then, after a decent bit of time, it took several months, but at the end of my first semester of college, I got the call that I was accepted into the program, but I didn't get my guide dog until... The following August, so from December to August, I waited patiently, I did my freshman year of college, and at the end of that summer is when I actually went. So today is, when we're recording this, is August 4th. In four days, it will be exactly four years that I got my beautiful baby, Romana. I remember the day vividly. They had to make sure you could cross the street because, believe it or not, the blind person is the one that has to decide when to cross the street, not the dog. Yeah. Guide dogs can't see stoplights. So no. um, guide, uh, blind people will use the sound of the cars a parallel to them and perpendicular to them to know when it's safe to cross the street. And that's something we learn in O&M. And we can't just tell a guide dog, like, go to the corner store. Because the guide dog <laughs> does not know what you're talking about. Um. <laughs> right. Well, they also, they can't read bus numbers. They can't read subway numbers. Mm-mm. You have to know what you're getting. Like, the blind person is the one telling the dog where to go. Um, but you can explain. There is something called intelligent disobedience, though. Yeah. Um, guide dogs have trained what's called intelligent disobedience. And this is the main systematic advantage over a cane. Because we tell the dog when to cross the street, when it is pretty safe in our opinion they can perform what's called a traffic check which means if a car is not following traffic rules or you don't see a car backing up or anything in between the guide dog will pull you out of the way it just blows my mind because traffic checks don't happen that often but when they do it is an absolutely surreal experience wow yeah that is wow in October, I was walk- so I, I live in sort of a suburban area, but I walked to work. So out of the parking lot of my apartment complex, someone had backed up extremely far. And it was a really bright day. I had no idea. But my dog stopped. And I was like, dude, go. I was trying to give her commands to keep going. Mm. But she refused. And I reached out my hand, and I felt this guy's windshield. <gasps> And I was like, oh, oh, it was right in my face. Oh, my God. And then not even a few minutes later, I went across a major intersection, and she stopped in the middle of the intersection. Oh. I was like, dude, what's going on? And I reached out my hand, and I felt a car go by. Whoa. It was insane. Wow. <laughs> That's very scary. Please stay safe. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm not bad at navigating. No, you're not. You. You're like, not. The, this doesn't happen often. No, it's usually the car's fault anyway, because we know what we're doing. So, are we ready for a rant? I, I like, I my blood is starting to boil even thinking about it. So, <laughs> wow. Here we go. We are going to talk about fake service dogs. And why they suck. And why they suck. First off, maybe we should explain to everyone the difference between emotional support animals, therapy dogs, and service dogs. Go for it. Service dogs are covered by the Americans with Disabilities Act, or you might also hear it be called the ADA. And basically, it allows the service dog to go anywhere with the owner because this is a medical device that the owner needs Mm -hmm. to live. (laughs) So, you know, a lot of times these dogs are protecting people's lives. If it's a blind person, the dog is protecting them from getting hit by a car. If it's a person who has seizures or, you know, blood sugar issues or horrific you know, PTSD kind of attacks. These dogs are, you know, helping these people survive. It is a very important skill 
that these dogs are trained for years to do, and it's very important. Um, therapy dogs, I believe, are just dogs that like go into like hospitals and nursing homes and you stressful know. environments. People can you know touch the dogs and feel at ease. Right. So like I, like I could register my dog to be a therapy dog to, if I wanted to take him to like a nursing home for people to like pet him. Okay. So that's what a therapy dog is. Emotional support animals are not covered by the ADA. They are technically only allowed in housing that wouldn't normally allow dogs or on airplanes. Those are the only two places they are technically allowed. So any other place that wouldn't normally allow dogs, they are not allowed. They are a glorified pet. They are a pet, period. And, oh, I'm about to get heated because I'm (laughs) on a lot of dog groups on Facebook because, like I said, I'm a dog person. And I see probably a post every two days of people asking how to get their dog certified, not because they need emotional support, but because they want to take their dog places. And they literally don't realize that that is not even Mm. what this is. Yeah. No, this is illegal. And I (sighs) want to make the distinction of emotional support animals are not the same as psychiatric service dogs. Yes. The the thing that differentiates them and the thing that makes any service dog a service dog is the the two questions that people are legally allowed to ask handlers when they are in a place because it is illegal to ask what's your disability and also it's extremely rude don't do that no but you can ask is that dog required because of a disability which then you know if they were asking me I'd say yes And what tasks is that trained to do relative to the disability? So for me, I would say my dog is trained to guide me around obstacles. For a psychiatric service dog, it could be if the handler is having a panic attack, the dog could go fetch medication. Right. That is a trained task. But if all you're doing is holding and petting your dog if you're having a panic attack... That's an emotional support animal. And if you are listening and you have an ESA and you are one of the lovely people that follow the guidelines and you understand that they're only allowed on airplanes and some housing but not other places, that's fine. But the reason why we get so heated about this is it is becoming a huge detriment to real service dog handlers. It's horrible. It's horrible. And so, first, let me also clear the air. There is no registered service dog. No, there's no paperwork that you need. There is no paperwork. So, if people are buying the $60 forged paperwork, this isn't even real. I'm like, I'm about to go off. There is no registering a service dog, period. I have a legitimate service dog, and there is no registration for it, because that is how the Americans with Disabilities Act for the time being and for the 30 years it's existed works but you know people want you to believe that this exists so they sell you a bunch of fake stuff fake vest and you know people will put vests on these dogs just so they can take their pet places yeah and that is (sighs) that is not the point of a service dog first it is it is detrimental to service dog teams for a couple reasons first Because it really ruins the reputation of legitimate handlers. Yes. So many service owners and Uber drivers have been burned in the past because they let a fake service dog or an ESA that, like, they were passing off as a service dog into their establishment and the dog was misbehaving. It could have had an accident. It was disruptive. It was aggressive. And that makes everyone mistrust service dog handlers, so it makes it even harder to go anywhere. Uh, Yeah, so then when a service dog team is trying to get into any kind of establishment, they get an access denial, which is illegal, by the way. But it's embarrassing for the person. If you're going out with a group of friends and you're the only one not allowed in the restaurant, like it makes me want to cry. I'm sorry. It literally is discrimination. You're the only one not allowed in the restaurant. And, you know, yes, it's illegal, but the owner is not going to budge. So you have to sit there and fight the owner for like a full hour. You could and you could, you know, like fight them legally, but it's just a big mess. And so it's it's not something people want to deal with. I like. I whip out my my classic speech of, like, according to the Americans with Disabilities Act, blah, 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 because I have had this so much. Yes. And, and like, what's just, what's the worst is, like, it may be because of fake service dogs. It also may be because of people not liking dogs for whatever reason, being allergic, which is also not a covered excuse for the ADA. I'm really sorry if you have dog allergies, but, and if they're severe, but... 
it is technically not allowed to deny a, a dog because of allergies. But, like, you don't understand how embarrassing and infuriating it is when an Uber driver drives away, leaving you and your dog standing in the rain because they didn't want to take you. Happens all the time. It happened to me, like, at least once a quarter, like, every, every several months. And I know that it happens to other handlers in bigger cities even more. And the other reason that they're horrible for guide dog teams is because, like, if this dog is aggressive and they harm your guide dog, and I've heard of people that this has happened to, they can put an entire team out of commission. Yeah, it's horrible. Or even if they're just, like, majorly distracted. Like, obviously, service dogs are trained not to get distracted by things, but if your dog is in the same store causing a ruckus and, you know, charging at the at your service dog, I mean, it could make the service dog be distracted for one minute, and that can be the difference between you running out into a, a car, you know, in the middle of the road. Or, exactly. Ugh, it's just infuriating it's just it's and also people need to understand that according to the i've done a lot of studying on the ada um you can kick out a real or legitimate or, or illegitimate service dog if they are causing a scene if they are being disruptive or threatening people by lunging at them or having accidents you can ask them to leave but the problem is nobody has read the ada and i've even experienced some issues with like um with in the workplace of people, I mean, that's a whole other issue, but I've just learned in my life that people have not read the ADA and they just don't know the rules. So that also messes things up badly. Also, what people don't understand is they want to take their dog everywhere because they love their dog. But if you loved your dog, you would not pass it off as a fake service dog because it's bad for your dog. Yeah, I mean, I think Cassandra, you can attest to the fact that I'm more obsessed with my dog than any other human being. Y'all. I think that Casey likes dogs more than I do, and I love like, my guy dog. I literally bits. have a camera in my house that watches him when I'm gone, and I check it about 20 times when I leave him to make sure he's okay because I am overly helicopter parent obsessed. So I would be the person that would take my dog with me everywhere. Like, I can see myself being that person, but I'm not selfish, and I, I realize that he is just a pet and that he will mm-hmm. not die if I leave him at home for a few hours throughout the day. It's just it's bad for your dog because typically... People that try and do this just go from zero to a hundred and they're just like, I'm just officially going to start taking my dog everywhere. Mm. And your dog hasn't been socialized to be around so many people and stimuli and smells and everything all day. No. And that's going to make them really anxious. Even if your dog is pretty chill in your house, that's nothing like what they would be after several days being exposed to tons of people and surroundings. And that's what could make them snap. And even if your dog is the most chill, kind, best trained dog, bottom line is do not abuse the system. Do not break the law. It's illegal. I don't care if you have the best trained dog I've ever met. It's illegal at the end of the day and it's selfish and it's wrong. So there you go. Plus, like, people tell me a lot, like, oh, you're so lucky. You get to take your dog everywhere. And yes, I love my guide dog and I love that I can have her everywhere. But also people only see the fun parts. Well, that that reminds me of when somebody told me I was lucky for getting to sign up for classes early in college because of my disability. I'm like... I, do you realize the reason why we're doing these things? It's not like we're just getting perks for fun here, people. Like, there's a... We're disabled. <laughs> there's people a reason why... People don't see... People... Like, first of all, you oh don't God. want this, okay? Like... No, it's not You easy. don't want to have to deal with something that is, like, actually kind of negative. Like, not being able to see well... I wish I could drive. Yeah, we try to find the positives for sure, and we love our lives, and we love who we are, and we've accepted who we are, but you please don't tell us you're jealous of things that are just getting us by. It's just the reality of the situation, and like, yes, it is a massive pain to have a disability, and this is just a little bit of help. And yes, again, I just, I love my dog to bits. Honestly, I, I live alone, but... I think without her, I would be extremely, extremely lonely. Um, And she keeps me company, and she's wonderful, and she just fits my personality so well. But it 
is hard sometimes. Absolutely. We can, as you can see, we can obviously talk about this for days, but we have a fun game. So let's try to like, you know, dust off our anger <laughs> and play a fun game. So this is a game and it's kind of not even a game game, but basically we each wrote down some blind girl moments and the other person doesn't know what we wrote down. I'm going to read off my list and Cassandra is just going to say yes or no to if this moment has happened to her before. The answer will probably be yes, but I think this will just be a funny way for people to see into our lives and just little things we deal with that people might not normally think about. Oh yeah. we have. I wrote 10 things. Do you write 10 things? Yes, I wrote 10 things. Okay, so cool. I'll go first and then you can go. All right. So tell me if these things have happened to you. When you're watching a movie and everyone around you laughs and you pretend to laugh even though you could not see what was happening. (laughs) So many times. So So many many times. times. Okay, next. We'll try to do these kind of rapid fire-ish without going into too much detail. But um, next is when you were in school and you had enlarged papers and they would fall off the desk because they would hang over and like a gust of wind would blow and your papers would fly across the room. Or because I had to bend over and see my papers really close up anyway, and, like, yes. there would just be that line where I folded them. Yeah, I fo- <laughs> yes, I would fold them. I, you have to... F- our papers were so large, we had to fold like them. Like, the legal size. <laughs> okay, and another one is... So, we have these things called monoculars. They're, like, binoculars, but one eye. So, when your sighted friends and family try to use your monocular, and they just can't see out of it... <laughs> Oh my goodness, yes. I actually had some people in middle school that took it and they were like, ooh, the teacher has makeup lines. Oh my gosh, yes. Okay, when you're using your white cane and you hit a crack in the road and it stabs you in the stomach and you get bruises in your stomach. Yes. So many painful times. So many times. Okay, this is a really, really good one. That <laughs> It's so random. Okay, when you, <laughs> I'm like laughing. When you were in elementary school, this is very specific, guys. When you were in elementary school and the teacher was trying to show the class something and you were all like gathered around and all the sighted kids would be like, I can't see, I can't see it. And then, and, and, and then you would just be standing there and you couldn't see it, but you weren't even going to try to fight. You yes! Just- <laughs> 100%. You just stood there and, like, you know, didn't even try. Hope is lost for me at this point. <laughs> Another one is when you're crossing the street and there's a car there and you just know that the person in the car is trying to signal to you to cross, but you can't see the person oh in the car. Recently, my I saw my mom... I was in the passenger seat, and she did, like, a hand signal, and I was like, people can see inside cars, <laughs> <laughs> because to me, it feels like a really cartoonish thing where, like, you lower the window, and then there's a person there, but when yeah. I raise it, there's nothing there. Yeah. No, I've never <laughs> been able to see inside a car window. Okay, this is a good one, too. Being in church, and the lyrics are on the wall, but you pretend like you're singing... <laughs> Have you ever had that Oh, my goodness. Like, I'll go to, like, a different... Like, I know a lot of the songs at my church, but, like, I'll go to a different church, like, to visit, and it'll be, like, the words are on the wall, and I'm literally, like, lip-syncing because I can't sing along, and it's very embarrassing. I use my phone's camera at that point, but I think people just think I'm, like, texting. Oh, true, true. People are like, why is she she texting during the singing of our worship? (laughs) Like, how rude. How irreverent. Next one. Photophobia headaches. Oh my goodness. Photophobia is light sensitivity for those who don't know. Okay, the next one is people trying to show you a picture on their phone, but you're too lazy to get up, so you act like you can see it. Oh my (laughs) gosh. I love it when I have friends that they know I can't see well, and they still show me from a distance, and I'm like, neat. (laughs) We lie, just like a little inside scoop to our listeners, we lie that we can see things all the time. It's something every low vision person does. If if there is one low vision person out there that doesn't do this, wow, because I'm astounded because it's something we all do. (laughs) The reason is it's just not worth explaining every single time. (laughs) All right, people asking you, why do your eyes move? Yeah, so people with albinism have something called nystagmus, which is involuntary eye movement. I think my eyes move more than yours, Casey, but yeah, our eyes dance around and people always ask us if like the world shakes. Yes, they do. And my last one is kids asking about your cane or guide dog and the parents shushing them. Yeah, which I think is terrible. Kids should should be allowed to ask because that's how they're going to learn. Yep. 
I agree. But anyway, that was it. I liked that you uh, agreed with all of those things. All right. So mine is starts with, have you ever thought a mannequin was a person and had a conversation with them? Absolutely. Um, but mine, where I really thought it was a person once, was a um, like a cardboard cutout in a store. <laughs> so. Oh, my goodness. Have you ever pretended to know someone when they started talking to you when you actually had no idea who they were? Every day of my life I feel like oh my gosh uh, especially when you're starting in a new environment like when I started working at my job last year I just I had no idea who anybody was so can I tell one tiny quick story with that where this guy came up to me and I said oh hey and I acted like so friendly like I knew him and then as he walked off I turned around to my family and said I don't know who that was and his family was standing right there and saw the entire interaction I wanted to do <laughs> Um, okay, have you ever broken a cane type? Oh, no. I don't think so, but they've gotten really nasty. Well, they've gotten to the stub all the way down where I've had to replace it, but I've never broken a tip because I don't have the hollow tips like you do. I have the solid So my, my freshman year of college, I used a, a large hollow ball, and I'm, I'm fairly positive I broke like four or five of those throughout the course of the year because I walked that much. <laughs> yeah, mine are not hollow, so... Um, have you ever ignored someone who was bugging you, pretending that you couldn't see them? <laughs> oh, probably, but not, I, I don't think I do that. Well, I do that when people want to, like, ask if they can pet my dog and <laughs> pretend like I don't know that they're there. Oh, yeah, with strangers on the street, I did. Yeah, yes. yeah, that's, yes. that's more of what I was referring to and not, like, a person that you were new. Oh, no, yes. Have you ever gotten interrogated on the bus or the subway, et cetera, about your eyes? Yes. <laughs> it's like, man, look, I'm just trying to go somewhere. <laughs> and actually, you already asked me this, but have you ever gotten your cane stuck in a crack and nailed yourself or someone you love? Uh, well, you know, another one I was going to ask is, has anyone ever, like, jumped over your cane? We've talked about that, where people jump over our cane like it's freaking, like, hopscotch. Look, if you, if my, my policy's always been, like, jump at your own risk, but if you fall on your face, <laughs> it's not my problem. <laughs> Um, have you ever walked into an object when you're using your cane improperly? Yes. <laughs> um, I also mentioned this earlier. Have you ever walked up to a counter at a restaurant and asked, what do you have? <laughs> oh, absolutely I do. And I do it without shame nowadays. But I do preface with, I'm low vision. Yeah. What do you have? <laughs> have you ever waved back at someone, but they actually weren't waving at you? Like the one time oh. you saw them waving? <laughs> absolutely, yes. Or just, you know what's so awkward is when someone will say, oh, cute shoes. And you say, thanks, but they were talking <laughs> to somebody else. Or when people are on the phone behind you and you carry on a conversation with them. Oh, that's happened. <laughs> yep, for sure. Okay, my last one was, have you ever had someone misidentify your cane for a golf club, a selfie stick, a ski pole, etc.? Absolutely. Um, I was going into a museum once and they said, you cannot bring that in with you. And I said, oh, it's a cane. And they thought it was camera equipment. I had that happen at a concert once. They're like, you can't have selfie sticks here. And I was like, hmm, it's a cane for the blind. Uh People have also called it a pole vaulting stick, but that was a joke. But I thought that was really a good one. I laughed. Um, our canes fold up, too. So when it's folded up in segments, I've had people ask if it was either nunchucks or a, like, <laughs> or a drum kit. Yeah, the camera equipment one was when it was folded. Because I feel like if I had been using it, he wouldn't have asked that question. Right. But, yeah. yeah. Oh, that was a fun game, though. Wow. <sighs> good times, man. I enjoyed that. Um, well, you know, at the risk of going really over time, I guess we will, you know, go ahead and sign out. Is there anything else? I feel like we did all the housekeeping at the beginning. I do of think so. But I guess to reiterate, uh, rarewithflare.com slash podcasts with an S. Um, it has all our show notes that I lovingly put together. Email is uh, at hello at rarewithflare. Um, socials, follow us on the socials. Leave us a review for Casey's Dog Voice. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, everybody. Bye. Bye.